I want to share this morning on a topic um, but just during the, during the conference, and I think it's going to be great for our young people, this topic, and I think that it's going to be great for all of us. But one of the things that struck me in one of the meetings was just this topic of guarding our heart and what is our heart. And how many of you have ever had a broken heart? Raise your hand. You ever have a broken heart? Yeah. Delaney never had a broken heart. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and Cyril, it was so much fun getting to know your, 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 your um, son, Mike. Great guy. It was really good to meet him and get to know him a bit. But I think our heart, you know, like your heart is that part of you. It's the core, right? It's that core part of us that the soul tree is planted into. And the condition of our heart soil is going to really determine the condition of our soul. Because the soul tree blossoms out of the soil of the heart. As we read Jesus talking about the soil of your heart. And in Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says this, with all vigilance, keep your heart for from it comes the source of life or the sources of life. And what that's saying is, is that we are being, uh, we are being um, exhorted to keep our heart, to keep it, to keep a door on it, to guard it, to guard our heart, because from there is all the sources of life. And if our heart gets broken, then all the sources in our, in all the sources in our uh, life are kind of broken. Everything we say, everything we do, the emotions that we feel, the decisions that we make, the jokes that we make, all just comes out of a broken heart. And I think that as a young person, and even as an old person, older person, not old, <laughs> older, uh, I correct myself there, self-correction, uh, I think that we need to keep a, um, just keep a guard on our hearts. And... And, and it's Proverbs 4, verse 23. And how do we guard our heart? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7, I love this verse. And by the way, whenever there's a command in the Bible, whenever there's a command, when there's instruction or when there's something that's said to you, I like to look at God as doing the action. And I'm just participating with that. Okay, does that make sense? Romans chapter 6. The, the, the theme there is to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we read a commandment, just really remember this, okay? Is that when you're reading a commandment in the Bible or instruction, it's not addressed to our fallen nature, okay? When God gives us a command or a mandate. It's not like that we need to try the best in the good side of our flesh. But he's speaking to the new man that's inside of us, the new heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says this, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is when I'm just praying. Supplication means when I'm praying for myself. That's what it means. I'm just praying. You ever pray for yourself? You know, you're supplicating. Lord, it's kind of an old King James word. I'm just supplicating. I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for myself with thanksgiving. And I think thanksgiving is always going to be a part of our prayer life. Let your requests be known to God. Sometimes we don't tell God what's on our heart. And what that can do is create a broken heart. It can create a frustrated heart. And let your request be known to God and just say it. One of the things that my son is learning is to use his words, right? Caleb, use your words. And the, the girls have a break today because Caleb's not here. But make your requests, make, make them known to God and say, God, this is what's on my heart. This is the way I'm feeling right now. Verse 7, and this is what I love here, the peace of God that, surpa- that surpasses all understanding. Do you ever have peace from God and it just doesn't make sense? Like, I don't know why I have peace. I really shouldn't have peace, okay? And um, uh, I, I shouldn't have peace, but I have peace. 
And, and that's the peace of God. The peace of God is something that cannot be shaken by worldly events, by personalities, by our own failure. Right? The peace of God is something that can't be changed by what's in my bank account or what's not in my bank account. You know, the peace of God is something that surpasses all understanding. And this is what I love. Will guard your hearts. When we talk about guarding our hearts, it starts with the peace of God. Guarding our hearts. It's like a guard at a, you know, at a, I walked into the store the other day looking for something. And I realized I walked into the wrong door. It's one of these strip malls. And I walked into the wrong door. And right there, as I was coming in, there was a, there was a security guard coming out, walking down towards the door. And they were removing the money from, you know, there, there was the, the, what do you call it? The bag trucks, the armored cars. What do you call those? They're removing the money. And so she stopped and she's looking at me and I'm looking at her and I like, she was just, cause I kind of came in a little quick and she stopped and she's looking at me and I, you could see she was on guard. And I said, you know, I said, oops, sorry, wrong door. And I left. And I think that having this guarded critical thinking when we approach circumstances and one here, when we read this is that the peace of God does the guarding because sometimes we can't guard our own heart. You know, I love this hymn and I was thinking about this old hymn. And you know what I like to do sometimes is just take old hymns and just read them, you know. And I don't even know the melody to some of them, but I love this one here. Um, it's, it's come thou fount of every blessing. And I love the words here. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter binds my wandering heart to thee. Guys, we can't. Like our heart is like a little two-year-old. It's running around all the, all the time. And you take your eyes off of that two-year-old for a minute. And that two-year-old is going to be in the parking lot on, its way, on his way down 1488. It's like that's the way our heart is. And the, way we can, the only way that our heart can be bound and to be, can be in, in some form of, of guarding is really through the peace of God. That peace of God that... That comes into my life. We're going to talk about how that comes in. But the peace of God that is something that guards our heart. And it says here um, in, the, in the next couplet in the hymn. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And that's what my prayer is. Is like sometimes when I feel like I've got a wandering heart. Or my heart's just kind of like. Just kind of on the move. I says, Lord, here's my heart. Like I can't control it. I give it to you. And you know, the peace of God, I love this because the peace of God is not just a word. It's not just a religious word. When we read about an aspect of like patience or peace or love or mercy or powerful, we always got to put the nature and the character of Jesus Christ in that word. Because Jesus is the incarnation of peace. Jesus is the incarnation of love. Jesus is the incarnate. He's the incarnation of power. And He's the incarnation of all good things and all virtue. And so when I look at peace, when I look at peace, I need to look at him. and I need to see Jesus Christ. And I can't just look at a religious word because Jesus Christ is very proactive. Jesus says, I give you a peace. Okay. And I think there's a little hum in this. Um, we might have to back down the, the volume on it. But Jesus gives us peace because it's a peace that um, passes all understanding. It's a peace that is is. is it's proactive, it's a person, it's a person. And what that means is, is that when Jesus works, he's doing the work. Uh, when Jesus is gracious, he's being gracious. And when we, when we look at the heart, the heart is 
The heart is the core of us, and we really need to care, take care of it. You know, 500,000 people die a year from heart problems. Okay? And think of how many more people suffer from spiritual heart disease. You know, spiritual heart disease is when, when a spiritual sickness comes to our heart, like depression or fear, or like we heard during this week, discouragement. And so the heart is the core of us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where our treasure is, our heart's going to be there also. If you ever want to know where, where, where's my heart, you know, is my heart with God or is my heart pursuing after God, what is the thing that we think about the most? That's where my treasure is. That's where my heart is. What's my treasure? It could be something else that, you know, I could be a good Christian. I could be a moral person. I could be someone that's not sinning badly. But if my heart is, if my treasure, if my meditation is on something 24-7, then that's where my heart's going to be. That's where my... That's where my treasure is going to be. And from the abundance of the heart in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, the second part of that verse, it says this. It says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever my heart is meditating on is what I'm going to eventually talk about. If I have something in my heart against somebody else, eventually that's going to come out. If I have this truth, if I have this love for God, if I'm responding to the love of God, that's what I'm going to eventually confess God discerns our heart. You know, I think in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, sometimes people are looking at people's behavior, you know? And I think we have to be really careful because God's not discerning behavior. Behavior is always what spills out, is always what we're acting out with our heart. Like, where's my heart at? Well, that's where my behavior is going to eventually be. And God is discerning the heart. Isn't that great? Sometimes we do something, it doesn't come across. We don't, when we say something, it doesn't come out the way we want it to be said. Or we do something and it doesn't come out the way we want it to come out. Thank God that God's looking at our heart, right? He's seeing our heart. He's seeing our motivation. And he's seeing the, um, that the condition of our heart. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 10, it says that the Lord searches the heart. You know? Did you ever get something like a, I have a program on my computer. And every once in a while, it's got an index. You know what that indexing means? It's just... The, the computer is actually just going through all of the resources that is on that drive because sometimes it gets updated, things get installed, and it has to go through an indexing process. And so it's going through every byte of information on the hard drive. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. The Holy Spirit is, is searching us. He's searching us. He's, he's knowing us, and he loves and he's loving us. And that God knows the heart and he's searching our heart. And I think that sometimes there are things that are wrong with us that we don't even know how to like even, even deal with. Like we're like, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why I feel this way. Um, I don't know why I have, you know, this, these feelings. But God knows. You know, God knows. And we can just trust the Lord that he knows. And he's never condemning us. And so the heart is the core of us. The second thing I want to say is that the old heart, our old heart is fallen and it's the core of our, it's, the old heart is, is the core of the fallen person. And when we look at the deceived heart, when we see that it's a heart that's been sickened, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. There's three words that describe a deceived heart. And number one is darkened. It just is something that these three words are described in these verses. It's a darkened heart. It's a heart that's been darkened. It's kind of like it's been, uh, it's been shaded. There's been a shadow that's been cast upon it. And in Romans 1, verse 21, um, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but, but became futile in their thoughts and their, fuel, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
I think that whenever we're just making a series of decisions negatively against who God is and what his person is and what his word is saying, we are running into the possibility that that there's going to be a darkening of our heart. And this can happen. And the beautiful thing is, is that when that happens, God comes after us. He's coming after us with the light of his grace in Psalm 23, the, love, the light of his goodness and his mercy. And, 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 and the second characteristic of the fallen heart is blindness. And this is a, a blind heart is just it's pretty sad because it's, a, it's, a, it's something that's been hardened and calloused. You know, it's something that's hardened and calloused and you can't feel things really anymore. Uh, remember when, when we started about a year ago uh, doing the worship, I, I, all the calluses on my fingers were gone. And I remember like every time we do worship, it was like a torture session for my fingers because like, I felt like somebody was just like taking knives and just kind of like cutting my fingertips, you know, and now I have calluses, so I don't feel that. When the heart gets darkened and when the heart gets hardened, it gets hardened and it becomes blind. And um, here's a very interesting verse in Mark chapter three, verses five and six. And when they had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And he's talking about the man who had a withered hand. And his hand was restored and whole as the other. I think that sometimes the Lord, and thank God that God doesn't let us live in the blindness and the hardness and the darkness of our heart. He'll come and do a miracle for us. He'll come and he'll come to speak to us. Like whenever there's something in our heart when we get, or when our heart just begins to be, um, it begins to, to be, uh, um, there's this darkness or this blindness is coming in. The Lord will do something in our heart. And when he does that, when he does that, um, what will happen is, is that he'll, he'll open our eyes. Because when we get lost and locked into the condition of our heart, when the Lord does that, the Lord will act. And he'll act, he'll do a miracle. Like he did with, remember when Peter was on the boat in Galilee? And he was just out there. And they were, they were fishing for a fish all night. And they didn't catch anything. Um, I think there's this callousness and this blindness and this hardness of heart that can come in through hard work. And what happened was that Jesus said, hey, cast your net on the right side. And they did. And, and all these, they caught all of these fish. I think sometimes when we feel like we're locked into a heart that has no capacity, like, Lord, I want to help my unbelief. The Lord will do something in our life to show us his goodness. And that will open our eyes from the blindness. And then... And then, like, um, and then the third, the third description of the old heart is, is, um, is, is in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. And this is a description of the Pharisees. They no longer felt pain because of the, callous, the callousness. Um, they, there was this continual ignoring of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And with ha- callous hearts, so that we no longer feel the sting or that conviction of compassion. You ever see someone... Or maybe we've detected it in our own heart and we see a situation and it doesn't move us. A real broken situation that doesn't move us. And I remember sometimes being in that, you know, sometimes being in ministry or as a pastor or someone comes and talks to you about their situation. It's easy that if we don't allow ourselves to be renewed in the, in the heart of God, then what will happen is, is that we can grow cold. As a parent, as a husband, as a, as a wife, we can become cold because our heart gets so calloused there's this condition called compassion fatigue. Have you guys heard of that before? Compassion fatigue is, and this was something that was kind of, from my understanding, coined 
in Louisiana, Louisiana when that horrible um, hurricane hit. And there was just so much devastation, so much death, and just, it was so horrible. And there, there was these um, relief workers. And we experienced it here when Harvey hit. And you're just every day seeing, you're seeing trauma, you're seeing pain, you're seeing brokenness, you're seeing great loss, you're seeing uh, emotion that you have no, you can't really speak anything to it. Um, and I remember during Harvey, every day from, um, from, from the morning to the evening, I was with a team of, of people. We were going to houses out in New Caney and out in Shepherd and that part of Porter. And I mean, we were going to some really broken places and there was like these, there were like these trailers that were, um, you know, and there was animals running. This is way out, it was like way out in the woods and there's like pigs and animals running around because fences had broken. Dogs were running around, and there was just this smell. It was a smell of just mud and rotting things, and maybe even dead animals. And you're going to, we went to one person's house, and it was like a trailer, and it was like crooked because the foundation, you know, what it was, the blocks that it was on were moved because of all the water. And we walked in, and there was, there's the water line. It's like six to seven feet, like, was a water line. And that's like this brown mark where the water rose and then kind of crested, and then it started. It started coming down and leaves like this. You know, the residue from the top of the water is it was on the and it was on the on the walls and the chairs and everything was wet and just there was this. And I remember talking to this one one family and they were just very 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 difficult situation in their lives and they said, "Oh, this is like the sixth time this has happened to us" or something like that. And and you could see the black mold. And you're pleading with them like, you guys gotta, you've gotta move out of, you've gotta leave this place. And you're like, where are we gonna go? And we were working with an organization called Houston Response. It's a coalition of churches that were working together to rescue. We did a lot every day for like two months. And I remember just at one point, just coming to a place where you're walking in every day, you're just seeing elderly people that can't even leave. Um, and and, you're, and just, it just, you're just like, okay, this doesn't bother me anymore. And like you're almost like you almost get reactionary because you're around so much need that you can't fill yourself, that you can't meet yourself, and you're just tired, and you yourself are just getting empty. And this is what is called compassion fatigue, where you just have no more emotions to emote. You can't feel anything anymore. And that's why we need to learn how to understand what the new heart is. I think sometimes in a very difficult relationship or a very difficult situation, work or circumstances, or even like war in Ukraine. Uh, we have to know how to um, allow the Lord to love us up and encourage us and to stir up our heart. Because if that doesn't happen, then we begin, you know, sometimes we read about these stories in, in uh, um, assisted living homes where actually um, staff are being abusive to elderly people, like striking them or or just being like very, very nasty. And you think, how could somebody get to that point? Well, that can happen if we don't understand what compassion fatigue is. And so what happens is, is that the Lord gives us a new heart. And I want us to really focus on this. Because you know something, as a young person, as a teenager, or as a, as a single person, or married, or whatever, whatever status we are in, if we are giving our heart to things, like I'm really putting my whole heart in this, we have to be careful, because if that circumstance or that person changes, then there's going to be just shattered. We're going to have a shattered heart. And that's going to happen to us anyway. And when that happens, we need to realize, like, I need to know how to guard my heart. Guarding our heart is not being jaded or cynical or being 
uh, in some way um, just a nasty, untrusting person. What it is, is, is that I'm learning that I'm giving my heart to God. I'm trusting God for people. I'm not giving people my heart. You know, I had a, a pastor when I first was ordained and he was pastoring in Austria, Vienna, Austria. And I was talking to him and I said, do you have any, you know, you have any advice for me as a new pastor? And he goes, yeah, make sure your life is Christ and not what's happening in your church because things are going to, in your church going to be great times and then sometimes it's not going to be great, you know, and make sure that your life is, your, your life is in Christ because that way, when you're with people, when you have given your heart to God and your expectations are in the Lord, then people aren't, that when, when they fail you or betray you or they hurt you, then it's not going to impact you as hard as it would as if you gave them your heart. Because you know what? People don't know what to do with your heart. We as people have no idea what to do with people's heart, right? We just don't. I mean, even the best, the, the, the most well-meaning of us here in this room, we don't really know like how people tick. We don't know what they're, and sometimes we're going to do things and we're going to not know a person's past or their background and something may be said or done and it may be very hurtful. And so when we have in a relationship, we're giving our heart to God and say, God, this is your heart. Take it and seal it for your courts above. And that just talks about worship and abiding in the presence of God. As a teenager, I think sometimes, you know, we, we are very sensitive to the way people think about us. We're, we're just developing our self-identity our self-worth, our self-value. And you know something, when you have a very serious relationship and, that break, and it ends, that's like, we have to understand that you and your value and the value of your heart belongs to God and no one can remove that value from you. And if we are looking for value from people or circumstances, I think we as men, sometimes we just derive our identity from what we're doing, right? I talked to one pastor when I was in Baltimore and I just said, you know, we, we can't derive our identity from what we do. Because if we do, then we're going to be so insecure. We have, to our, we have to derive our identity from Christ. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And what did Jesus say? Heaven, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you. And then Jesus says in the next verse, and you're Peter. If we don't know what our identity is, if our heart is kind of like shifting and we're not really sure where it is and how to like guard it, look at Christ and get a revelation from God. Who is Jesus Christ in my life? And that's what happens. That's how we get it in church and fellowship and conferences and when we're around the dinner table with our family or when we're praying on Wednesday nights or whatever we're doing. When we're together, we are gazing at Christ. Amen. And when we're doing that, we're getting our, our identity. I think as a young girl, don't, divide, don't derive your identity from some guy who doesn't even know who he is, you know? I mean, I think this is, I heard a statistic, and this could be wrong, but you know how statistics are. Statistics can be so political. It just depends on who's taking the poll. But I heard something like this, and it sounds right, that men, I mean, that women emotionally mature faster than men. And, 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 it's, and, and, uh, and they, they emotionally mature about the age of 23. Is that right? Some parents are like, what? No. <laughs> Men, we, we emotionally mature slower about the age of 27. And I know that I wasn't, I wasn't ready to marry anybody and even understand who I was until I was at least 27. Because when I got to the age of 27, I just got, okay, oh, okay. Begin to understand who I was as a young man. 
And you know something we need to do is we really need to derive our identity from Christ. When we give our heart to Christ, when we put our, when Christ is the first thing, what does that mean? I don't want to be abstract giving our heart to Christ. It just means that Christ, I'm going to intentionally make Christ the center of my adoration. I'm going to make him the center of all, the, the, the end goal of all of my decisions. I'm going to make Christ, he is worthy for me to follow him and spend my youth on him and spend my time and my money on on Christ and those, those, those eternal purposes in Christ. And I think as a young person, we can be on mission. We can take mission trips. We can do things that, that like later on life that maybe you can't do. Uh, putting, looking at Christ and saying, you know, I know you are more precious and more valuable than I can even understand. And having the Holy Spirit in our life give us a revelation of the beauty and the, and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Not a lot of people get that. For example, you remember when Jesus is in the Pharisee's house and he's eating dinner and a woman comes in. There's all these Pharisees around and people, religious people, and they're eating, they're talking, and this woman comes in and everybody knows who she is. She was called the woman of the town, right? She had just a reputation of just being, being whatever, just being the woman of the town. Everybody knew she was just, she was just had a very bad reputation. And she comes in, and people are like, oh, no, there's, you know, there's so-and-so, wow, you know, and everybody's remembering her story, and maybe even some of them in the room had some kind of history with her. That's what some commentators say, that, that the, the Pharisees that judge her the most had maybe some kind of history with her. <laughs> you know how that goes, right, in John chapter 8? And so they're all judging her, and she comes in, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she begins to wash his feet with her hair. Wow, that's amazing. What would you do if you're having, like, a barbecue, right? And then somebody like your neighbor comes down the street, you know, the odd neighbor in the neighborhood, right? Comes down the street, walks in your house and just starts doing something like that with your feet, right? I think we'd all be very, very like, wow, this is awkward. This is weird. This, what is this? And, 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 and so they judge her. They're like, they're like, if Jesus knew who this was, then he wouldn't be letting her t- even touch him, touch him. As if Jesus would be so weak and so futile and so, so like, such a, such a, uh, incompetent person that somebody can infect him with something. Jesus is so powerful that when a leper touched Jesus, the leper, right, the leper is healed, right? It's like what, G- what was inside of Jesus and who Jesus was was so much greater than what people had that were touching him. And you know something, when we come to the body of Christ, we feel like that, you know, we feel like we have this thing, come to church or something, you know, let Christ touch you and let Christ be, get, inter, get into the fellowship. And what happens is that we get healed. And so our heart, we have a new heart in salvation. I want to wrap it up with this. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart. And give you a heart of flesh. You know what that means is that when you and I make a decision like, okay, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to walk with him. He's going to be my Lord and Savior. When we do that, God gives us a new heart, a new spirit. And this new heart in Jeremiah 20, 24, verse 7, is a heart that's tuned into God's frequency. It's a heart that knows how to hear from God. It's a heart that knows how to hear from God. And I think as a younger person, when we're looking at life and our futures, we need to understand that, you know, so all my expectations, all my hopes really have to be in Christ. Not in how good I'm going to do in college, not, not if I'm going to get the guy or the girl that I want. You know, our expectations have to be in Christ. And I remember when, when David said this in the book of Psalms, he said, um, only in God is my soul at rest. And when we put our hopes and expectations in Christ, 
then we don't give people the power to, just, to take our joy. Don't give anybody that authority. Can I say that? Don't give anybody your heart because what you're doing is when you do that, you're giving them the authority to, and the power and the, and the right to take something from you that, that no one in this world can give you, only God. When we give our heart to God, and that's what Jesus said. Jesus, it says, and, and I think it's Mark 7, that Jesus knew it was in the heart of man. And that's why he didn't commit himself to men. He, can, he committed himself to the Father. And that's why Jesus was free to love people, because he knew he was doing this to the Father. His heart was in the hands of the Father. And so when we understand that God gives us his heart, we understand that, that this is a heart that is soft towards the things of God and the people of God. But it's hard towards sin. Number two, it's a compassionate heart. And it's a heart that's easily moved that we see in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is looking at the multitudes and he's moved with compassion. Right? The heart that God gives us in Ezekiel 36 verse 26 is a heart that honors God. And it's easily, it's easily smitten. And it's a, that's an old King James word. Remember when David is in the cave and he's hiding there and Saul happens to come in and Saul is in there by himself. And then David's men are like in the back of the cave. They're like, look, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. Go slay, the, go slay your enemy. And so David goes over. Maybe it's, he's thinking in his mind like, okay, I'm going to take this guy out. Right? And actually what he does is he doesn't kill him. He actually cuts a piece of the garment off with his sharp knife. And then later on, he sends it to Saul. And the statement was, I could have taken you, but I didn't. And when, he, when, when, when David cut the hem, cut this part of the garment off of King Saul, there was something in his heart that really just was like, smote him, like really hit him. Like, you ever feel that way? Like, wow, that was just, like that was so dishonorable. And it's like, it's not condemnation. It's not like judging yourself, but there's this moment where you're like, that just didn't honor God, or I just disrespected God's, God's authority. And when that happens, that's because God puts us, there are things that sometimes I say to people, you know, and then a day or two later, I'm thinking, that wasn't right. You know, I got to go, like, I was maybe joking with somebody or something. And, and, and like, I just will send a text like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, like, I didn't feel so good when I said that to you. And they're always, usually they're like, oh, that's nothing. But I think if we can have a heart that's sensitive to the heart of God, to the Holy Spirit, to the moving of the Holy Spirit, then that's the heart of God. And then another aspect of this heart that God gives us is, is speaks the truth. And not only does it speak the truth, but it's speaking the truth in our heart. This is really key. Psalm 15, verse 2. Who is the man that will be abiding in the presence of God on his holy hill, who have communion with God and God's authority in his life? One of the aspects is, is that he's speaking truth in his heart. You know, nobody's going to see the conversation that you have in your heart with yourself. Nobody's going to see that. Maybe not even your spouse or family members. But if you and I, we talked about this about a week or two ago, about speaking to ourselves, remember? If we speak to ourselves truth, right? Amen? I know Delaney does this. She's, she's a smart girl. Like when we speak the truth in our hearts, like you know, when we speak the truth in our heart, right? Then what happens is, is that we're, we're telling us that we're, we are taking the initiative to speak to ourselves truth. We correct ourselves. Do you ever have this thing in your mind, right? And you're thinking like, and then you say, you know what, I gotta deal with that. I've gotta deal with this conversation in my heart. This is not right. My heart is starting to wander. And I need to speak the truth in my heart. And when we do that, we're experiencing the, the, the heart of God. I want to finish with this. And I, I think I said that already. But our heart is established by two things. What keeps our heart? How do we guard our heart? By me, it's being morbidly introspective. Like, oh, okay. Was that a good thought? 
that thought. That's, no, that's just really psychologically not healthy. What we do is we allow the grace of God and the love of God to guard our heart, to establish our heart. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 9, he said, don't be carried around with various and strange doctrines, right? How do we get deceived by bad teaching? It's when our heart is not established in the grace of God. You know, I don't know everything about the Bible. There's things in the Bible that there's questions and there's things that like, I wish I could say, that's exactly what that means. A lot of times we'll, be, we'll read something and we'll be scratching our head like, what does that mean? Maybe that's a healthy thing because our attitude to the Bible is like, there's this beautiful, incredible, supernatural book and it's going to take forever for me to, to, to understand it. So I'm not one of these pastors that can say like, you know, I do know what I believe. I do have a good configuration of theology, I think, in my heart. But there are some things where I'm just like, we just got to trust God for that. Like, where does God's will and man's will meet? And this whole question of, you know, that whole question that Christians can get involved with, like, you know, is this already pre-planned? And, but I think if we understand the grace of God, if we can get that clear in the heart of God towards us, then our doctrine and our theology and our heart's going to be established in some very sober and healthy thinking. Amen? If, we can get, if you read something in the Bible that's like, I don't understand that, go to the parts of the Bible where it's very clear where the heart of God and the heart of Jesus Christ is really displayed in that circumstance and just cling to that because that's how our heart is established. And you know something? If our heart's not established in grace, meaning that I'm going to God's going to give me what I totally don't deserve and that I can never qualify for. If that's not our thinking, then what's going to happen is that our heart's going to get moved. And our heart's going to go after things like this. It's insecure. And it's going to be running away. And the second thing is that in Jude chapter 1, verse 21, I know it's a lot of verses today, but I like the Bible. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, just keep yourself in the love of God. That's what it means to guard your heart. Let your heart be established with grace. You're starting to get a little shaky in your heart, like, I don't know, like, you know, what's going to happen with this? Grace is never going to change. And then number two, keep yourself in the love of God. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. And that means, I don't feel like I'm loved, but I'm going to keep myself in the love. God loves me. You know, talking to ourselves. Amen? And that's how we get our heart guarded. We need to guard our heart. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Guard your heart because it's very valuable. Sometimes we just toss our heart out the window because we have no sense of self-value. If you grew up in a home or grew up in an environment where, where you were disposable, right? That's not how God thinks about you. You are not disposable. We are not plastic plates and plastic, plastic wear for God. We are very valuable. And number two, that's why, we've got to, that's why we have to guard our heart because it's so valuable. Number two, guard your heart because it's the source of everything that you do. It's the source of everything that you do. And number three, we have to guard our heart because it's continually under attack. There's always this war for your attention. It's always this war for your affections. It's always this war for your focus and love. And when we, when we guard our heart, then we're protecting ourselves against compassion fatigue and this other thing called soul erosion. Soul erosion. And that can be like when I'm giving, 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 and I'm not taking any time to let God pour into my life. Guard your heart, because when you guard your heart, you're going to be guarding the fountains and the security, and it's going to be guarding the sources of your motivation and the sources of your thinking. And when, you're, you, when you and I are around people that, that just don't understand the value of your heart, really understand that their approval 
or their disapproval really doesn't mean that much. We want God's approval. We want God's approval in our life. And if I'm pleasing God in my life, I may not be pleasing everybody else. And it may be even that I'm not pleasing some people that are very important in my life. And this is the problem with social media. And we've heard this before. Social media is like, we're spending so much time trying to impress people that don't even matter in our life. We're trying to project this thing on social media that, that we just want people to understand, like, okay, you know, you ever see these pictures of like, you know, the picture of the person and then, you, you know, with a filter and then a picture of the person without the filter, right? You ever see that? You ever see the pictures of the models that are like before they're all modeled up and then the picture of the model, you know, uh, after they're all modeled up and, and, you know, there's such a crisis in the modeling world because, because there's no value. We, we have a friend who is a model very well known in Europe. She got saved. And you can see her picture on, on Nivea products in Poland. I mean, in Europe. You can see her face. She's quite famous. And she got saved. And she told my wife and I and some friends how crazy that world of modeling is. That they just treat you literally like a piece of trash. It's so unbelievable. You wouldn't even believe it. You look at Hollywood, the red carpet, and, and you're like, you know, this is amazing. And, and then when, but when you're in these, you're, you're in these um, circles, and there's this people are jealous of you. They're, they're talking about you behind your back. And they, you can even hear them talking about you. And it doesn't even matter. They don't care if you could, you know, because there's no, they don't respect themselves and they don't respect you. And so I want to just say that. Guard your heart, guys, this summer. You know, there's a lot of free time. We've got a lot going on. Guard your heart. And be, let's be mindful of, am I giving God my heart? Is he the center? Lord, to take my heart. Take it and seal it. Seal it for your courts, your throne, your, your fellowship above. Um, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. You ever feel that way? Like, that's scary. Do you ever feel like, oh my gosh, I'm wandering? That's scary, isn't it? Like this scary feeling. Lord, take my heart. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I'm prone to leave the one I love, you know? But take my heart, Lord, seal it for your courts above. And when we do that, God says, I'll take that. And last thing, if there's, only, if there's only one verse you guys remember, if there's one thing that you remember from this message, it's this, Proverbs 23, verse 20. I think it's the verse. It says, my son, David is saying this to Solomon, my son, give me your heart. And what does it say? And you shall see my ways. You want to see God work in your life? Just give him your heart. And you're going to watch God work. You know, give him your heart. Let's just close our eyes for a minute. Lord, we want to... Give you our hearts right now, Lord. Maybe I'm a young person or a teenager or a person just in a place of some big decisions I'm making in my life or in a place where it's possible that I could make a bad decision. Lord, we want to give you our heart. We want to seek your kingdom first. Lord, we want to seek your face, Lord, first. And when we do that, we give you our heart. We're going to start seeing the work of God. I think that sometimes the Lord can't work in our life or in a church, or in a family, or in a person's personal life, because we have just not given our heart to God yet in that particular circumstance. Maybe we've given God our heart in other circumstances, in other ways, maybe in this one area. Like, you know, I haven't given God my heart. So we want to just take a minute, Lord, and, and if there's an area in my life or our lives, Lord, that, that you just need, that we need to bring to the cross and say, Lord, I surrender that. I surrender this affection. I surrender this affection, this desire. I, I leave it at your feet, Lord, because you know it's best for me. 
and you know what is the you know the desires of our heart and you've put them there and you know what's best so we just leave that lord maybe we're struggling with some kind of temptation or we're struggling with some some opportunities that that are coming up our way and and we don't necessarily know if we have the power to resist lord we just give you our heart Lord, take it and seal it for your courts above. And you have done that. And then you know what happens? The Lord gives us his peace. And we walk into a circumstance where maybe before it was very hard for us. And he says, he says, I'm guarding your heart. I'm keeping your heart. And I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep you on this. As it says in the New Testament, that beautiful verse that we are kept by the power of God. And so, Lord, we, do, we just do that this morning. In a simple Sunday morning on a, on a hot June day. Lord, we just give you our heart. We say, this is yours. It's not me. It's not mine. And we want to see your ways in our life. We want to see your peace. We want to see your work. We want to see you move. Lord, I just want to pray for David today, Colvin, who's not feeling great, who's sick. Lord, I pray for my wife, who's also not feeling good. Uh, Lord, we just pray for those that couldn't be here that are on the road. Bless our, bless our, our summer, our days. Uh, we pray, God, for safety and discernment, wisdom as we make decisions and things to do, people to spend our time with. Protect our young people. Um, we thank you, God, for this past week uh, at, the, at the team program in Baltimore. We pray, God, for the trip to Finland, for those of, of us that are able to go, or those of us that are traveling. And Father, we just pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And if you're here this morning, and you just don't know if you've made a decision for Christ, maybe you're just... I believe in God and in the church, but you know, Jesus is just, he's not my savior. Just say yes to him today. Just say, Jesus, I'm just making this official. I'm, in, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm saying yes to you. And if you do that, Jesus will come in and he'll never leave you. He will never leave you and he won't forsake you. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name for this time together. Amen and amen.